you would, please turn to God's Word. In the book of Hebrews, we'll be looking at Hebrews 5 to 6. We'll start with verse 11. The writer here has wanted to start talking about a certain priesthood, the priesthood of Melchizedek. And yet, his hearers aren't ready to hear about it. And he's going to pause, and he's going to talk about their condition. If you uh, saw the title of the sermon, it is, uh, it's right over here. (laughs) God's expected superior harvest, grace at work. We're going to look at God's harvest and what he expects uh, from his work and his people. And, And so these people are sluggish, as we'll hear. There's something not right. And we're going to understand what is going on in some sense with these folks. So let's hear the word of God from Hebrews 5, 11 on. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who by their powers of discernment, have trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. As I've had the letter to the Hebrews brought before my eyes about a year ago, uh, in a more intense way, it's always been one of my favorite books, one of the more interesting, I think because the warnings are so severe, I couldn't help this one song playing in my mind by Gladys Knight and the Pips. I've got to use my imagination. The first stanza says, I've really got to use my imagination to think of good reasons to keep on keeping on. Got to make the best of a bad situation. And then it talks about, ever, ever since that day I woke up and found that you were gone. It doesn't say if it's her husband or whatever, but it was a great sadness to her. And it was very difficult and it was very heavy and, uh, and I thought about that. I thought, as I look at the letter to the Hebrews, their need, they 
have suffered to some degree for Christ's sake already. And it looks like they're facing more suffering, and they're weary, and yet, at the same time, their theology is bad. Their thinking has gone skewed. And I thought, how do they keep on keeping on? How do the hearers keep on keeping on? Or as I looked at the prayer request sheet of HPC, and I thought, how do people keep keeping on? Or how do we all keep on keeping on? And it's a very serious question. It's a very important question. And this is what the letter to the, to the writer to the Hebrews answers for us. See, these people were in a very similar station, uh, situation as we are in some sense. Some difficulties that were very troubling, and they didn't see any relief in sight, maybe. Not relief of this type that they wanted. And it was more obvious to me as I looked through the whole book of Hebrews that uh, the solution kept being the same thing. He kept bringing their eyes back to Christ. He kept bringing their eyes back to Christ. And isn't that your experience, that when you see Christ for who he is, that that, uh, that grip on sin that we have seems to let go? But it's only Christ, it's only Christ's work, it's only Christ's love that can do it. There's no artificial way of letting go of our sins. But the grace of God lets us let go of our sins. It has the power of salvation to do that for us. And it's the only hope we have, the gospel, which is in Jesus Christ. And so as I thought about this, I thought, well, it's not so much that we have to use our imagination, but we do have to use our minds. And that's what the, letter, the writer is saying to these people. You need to think better. You need to be thinking more clearly. Because we can't make it on our own. We were never made to make it on our own, and the fall proved it for all time. We were made for God, not for ourselves. And at the fall, it was almost like we had our arms just ripped off our body, and we were the arm. And we lost our purpose, we lost our, our, our minds, literally. And yet in Christ, everything is renewed. We're brought back to God. We're reconciled to God. And we start to become like his son, who always pleased him. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning in this text is, under the heading of God's expected superior harvest, is to look at this under three heads. The first one are the hindrances to the superior harvest. There's a superior harvest that God expects, and there's hindrances to this harvest. That's the first point. The second point will be the inconsistency to the superior harvest. There's something not right here in this passage that ought to be happening. And so there's an inconsistency uh, to the superior harvest. And then finally, the source and process of the superior harvest, the source and process. So first, I want to look at the hindrances, and we see this in verses 511 to 62. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The word dull can mean lazy as well. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, 
the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. There's some hindrances here that are going on in these people that is making the superior harvest not come to fruition. The first one is there's dullness and sluggishness. Dullness and sluggishness. Now, nobody wants to be called a dullard or sluggish. It's a sign of not working hard or not being diligent. And yet this is what he's saying to these people. He's saying, you should be further along in the line, but you're not because you've been lazy or dull of hearing. Now, sometimes we are dull of hearing because we haven't been trained well. Now, both my wife and I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ through a youth ministry. And when my wife came to know Christ, she had people around her who would water her and nourish her, so to speak. They had studies, and she went to the studies And she was said, look, read this and read that and watch this and watch that. Let's go to this conference. And she flourished. She flourished right from the start. On the other hand, I was a subject of the same ministry. And I think I came to Christ. I was born again. And yet, for some reason, I fell through the cracks. And they would have studies. I think, I'm a Christian. What do I need to go to study for? It's all over. I'm a Christian now. Or I didn't realize there was more to the process that there's something that God has more than just being born again. If you could imagine, I've thought about this, how sad it would be if, uh, if I, you know, my wife and I had a child and we just left the child and moved on to the next town. How horrific that would be, how unkind that would be, how unloving that would be because I haven't taken the time to nourish it, nourish it or nurture it. That's just the beginning. The birth of the child is just the beginning. We hope that they grow up into flourishing adults and have a long life. And yet that's sort of what happened with me spiritually. And I'm grateful. I'm very grateful for all the men and women who poured their lives into me. But I fell through the gap. We were encouraged to go to a church. And yet it's like, I'm a Christian. What do I need to go to church for? It seems totally foolish to have those words come out of my mouth. And the writer to the Hebrews reinforced that later on. But my point is, is that It's possible to be born again and never become what you're meant to become. Now, we know from the scriptures that some have one talent, some have three, some have five. That's from God. That's a gift from God. I'm not the giver of that. Nobody else is the giver of that. But he wants you to do the best that you have, or he wants you to uh, grow into what he has made you. And that's a process. And it takes water. It takes the water of the word, as Brian read from that Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy. It speaks of God's grace coming down and and nourishing the ground. We'll look at another passage later. It It takes more than that. It takes learning over and over and over again. Now, this is a very difficult passage, and I'm going to preach another sermon on it, believe it or not, in two weeks when I come back. I think I'm supposed to come back in two weeks. But this is such a difficult passage and and probably has been troublesome for many people. But I think as we understand it a little bit more clearly, it'll make sense. But it's also sort of a fork in the road. It's meant to be a fork in the road to say, am I in Christ or am I not in Christ? Because some of us may have made professions of faith, and that's the other group. There's the first group that really are born again but never are nurtured. Then there's another group that thinks they're Christians. Now, how do you know if you're a Christian? Well, it's through the light of the word, through the means of grace, the Holy Spirit testifying to you that you're a child of God. 
Only the Holy Spirit can do that. No pastor can do that. No elder can do that. No father or mother can do that as much as they might. Or no friend can do that. Only God can do that. And so he gives us his word, and God in his sovereignty starts to sort us out. He knows where we are here. So the question is, where are we today? Are we in Christ? If we're in Christ, there should be flourishing of some sort. It doesn't mean trials aren't there. Read on to Hebrews 11, trial after trial after trial, and they keep going. Because their end is not this world, it's heaven. And they're able to overcome. They all didn't get sweet endings, happy endings, like those Sundays, happy ending Sundays. They didn't have all have happy endings. Some were sawn in two. They lost loved ones. But the thing that's so important today is for us to think, where am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? And if I'm in Christ, am I growing? Am I, am I becoming what God has for me? Or am I dormant? And then the other thing is to think about if I'm not in Christ. And once again, what does the writer do? He puts Christ before our eyes. Because that's our only hope. That's, that's what we need to look to. We need to look to Christ. That's how you're saved, looking to Christ and trusting Christ. And not to be drifting off to the left or to the right as these, these hearers were. And so as you have these next two weeks, not to be troubled, but to think carefully, where am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? Am I growing? If I'm not growing, why am I not growing? You know, Jesus talked about the cares of the world and the pleasures of the world. Choke out the world. word. I think, what a, what a sobering passage. We don't want that as God's people. We don't want to be choked out. We don't, want, we don't want the cares to be so weighing us down that we don't think of Christ. We don't want the pleasures of this world to be so enamoring us that we don't think of Christ. We want Christ's lordship over all of those things, that we might suffer well and we might rejoice well. And so it is a, it is a crossroad of some sort for us here that we need to see where are we in Christ today. Secondly, we, we see the need for thinking. We, need, we see the need for thinking. This is the second point of the hindrances. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Good from evil. Now, this is for every Christian at every level, that we are to grow in our discernment so that we might do what is pleasing to the Lord. It's very sad to me when I hear Christian groups setting up things that would violate the Lord's day. That he's given for us to be here as his people. Maybe for a second worship service. Things that really in the end would draw us away from focusing on the Lord on the Lord's day. And it's because I think they haven't paid attention to God's word enough to see, God doesn't want me to do this. He's got better things for me. He's got better things for me in Christ. And yet we get enamored by noises and flashy things and we're deceived. It's like the cotton candy. We go and do these things and at the end of the day it's like I'm tired and weary and I feel like I wasted my day. But never in the house of the Lord. Never with God's word. It should never be that way because God's word is alive and fruitful. And so 
there's reason for us to think carefully, just like I said to the children, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord and what is not pleasing to the Lord. So the, what, what hinders this superior harvest in our own souls is, is dullness and sluggishness and then not thinking, that we don't think things through. Like I said, this, this word is so dense, we think, oh, I know that verse, I know that verse. I heard somebody say one time very flippantly, for God so loved the world, it's like, do you know what that means? I almost, I almost wanted to weep. Do you understand what that, that took? That God the Father, who is perfectly holy, would send his son to take on human flesh? To bear our sins? To live a perfect life so that he might save us from the wrath to come? And you're like, for God so loved the world. See, that's why we have to be very careful just in our attitude with the word. It dishonors God when we dishonor how important his word is. So there's dullness and sluggishness, and we need to take, uh, take an account of where we are in Christ now, and we need to think about the faith. It's much more important than we think. And our lostness outside of Christ is much worse than we think. And yet God has been pleased to send his son to save us. So those are the hindrances. Then there's an inconsistency to the superior harvest. Verses 6, 4 to 8. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain and that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near being cursed, and its end is to be burned. This is a constant theme in the Old Testament, whether it's God and his people expecting a harvest or whether it's the blessings of God being poured off. You'll be blessed here, you'll be blessed there, you'll be blessed here, you'll be blessed there. But if you don't obey, you'll be cursed here, you'll be cursed there. And the cursings do not end. It's amazing how God elaborates on this in the book of Deuteronomy. We get a foretaste of of hell, of the the lake of fire. We see it in the, uh, as, as Judah and Israel both fail and are exiled. So there's an inconsistency. It's like we watered and we planted. He planted us. He watered us. What's going on? There's no growth. There's no fruit. Even in your own gardens, I'm sure, if you have a plant and you spend all this money and you get really high-end fertilizer and you water it and it's like, eh, nothing there. You say, that's gone. It's time for a new plant. Even in our own experience, we're that way. We don't... You know, we don't, hopefully we don't carry around dead animals. It's like, well, it's time to get a new bird, maybe. You know, it's just, even our own logic, our own thinking, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And yet even more so when we talk about the things of God, that he expects a harvest. Because God is the God of creation who, who spoke things into being. There's a cause and effect. God said and it was. God said and it was. The divine fiat. We see that in the book of Genesis over and over again. He he does this wonderful, wonderful creation. 
We see it also in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 10 to 13, very similar to the Deuteronomy passage. As God is talking about his thoughts and man's thoughts, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. I just was in Myrtle Beach. (laughs) For a long time, I didn't know what a myrtle plant was. I really didn't care. But I kept seeing them over the last 30 years. I think, man, they're really beautiful. Lavender. We have have a buoy of maroon ones. White. You know, it's just a beautiful plant. And we were just down there, and they're just all over the place flourishing. The place that we stayed at was Sunset Beach. As you take the bridge to go over the bridge, they're just these lavender crepe myrtles. They're, They're brilliant. They're beautiful. And what's amazing about this passage is instead of the thorn, instead of the deadness of the soul, there's life. There's a cypress. Instead of the briar, I'm not really fond of briars, come up the myrtles. It's a transforming work that God does by his spirit through his word. And so there's, a, there's, there's something inconsistent here. There's something inconsistent. And so God expects a return on his grace in our lives. And if there is no return, we have to ask, are we dead or alive? I'm not saying there's no life, but it's like we should be flourishing. He wants us to flourish, even in the midst of hardship. And I don't mean that, you know, we don't, we're not suffering really. We really do suffer, but we also have the joy of the Lord buoying us. In the midst of it. Something we can't even explain. Because it's the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. So, we've looked at the hindrances. We've looked at the inconsistency that shouldn't be there. And then finally, uh, we want to look at the source and process of the harvest. The source and process. And that's in verse 6, 3 and 9 to 12. Verse 6, 3 says... And this we will do if God permits. And this we will do if God permits. And then finally in verses 9 to 12. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the, the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He first says in verse 3, if God permits, see, salvation is of the Lord, and he brings their attention back. It's like, it's not all to you. You didn't start your salvation. You will not finish your salvation. You have a place You're called to respond, but salvation is of the Lord. 
And if God permits, you will go on and you will flourish. But that's his will. That's what we ask, that the Lord would make our, our, our souls fruitful, that he would make our, our works of mercy fruitful, our works of ministry fruitful. And it's all if God permit. And he tells us, ask, ask, ask great things of me. I do things that are exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think. And so the source is God. He keeps bringing us back to Jesus. He's not saying, look, just get busy. I don't care what you do. Just get busy. He's not saying that. Jesus wouldn't even allow for that. In John 15, he says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. He doesn't expect you to do anything apart from him. But it's that glorious union with Christ that causes us to bear fruit. That holy sap that we receive through faith that has its working, its working its way out in works of love and mercy, glorifying the Lord, serving our neighbor. So the source is God. And if God permit, that's what we'll do. But there's also faith and patience, faith and patience that we see in verse 12. Faith is an incredible gift. And I think sometimes we just think it's eh. And we should never think that way. Not everybody has saving faith. Not everybody who by God's grace has come to trust in Christ and so be united to Christ in a union that will never fail. But it's, it's not a stagnant union. And what I mean by that is it's a sure union, but it has strong times and it has weak times. And we always want it to be as strong as possible. Sometimes, as we sang, our, our faith is weak, but he will hold me fast. But our goal is great faith. Our, our goal is great trust and great hope. Even to the end, whether it be when he takes us from this life or when his son returns. That is the hope that we have. And so there's faith and there's patience. We have to execute patience all the time. It's amazing bodies of believers have stayed together in the midst of COVID in some sense, but I trust it's by God's grace. It's, they've been patient. They've been hopefully forbearing to some, some degree over the, over the last year or so. But you, as you read on in the book of Hebrews, some people didn't receive what they hoped for in this life. Others did. You know, I think about God's promise to Abraham. You know, I'll make your descendants like the sand of the seashore. I was just at the beach. <laughs> I don't go to the beach much, to be honest. Okay, my family does. I have to, have to admit, I go back and I read, but my, my family all goes to the beach. I went to the beach, you know, and sand's all over the place, you know. If you, if you ever try to count the grains, it's really tedious. Uh, <laughs> you don't get beyond a certain number, probably. But... Uh, but I was reading through some of the genealogies of the 12 tribes. And I thought, man, this is tedious. And usually people joke, oh, that's the genealogies, you know. And he, we make light of it. And then all of a sudden, the glory of, the God came, of God came off the page. It's like, he was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to him. He had zero children. <laughs> zero. But God promised Sarah laughs. Ha, ha, ha. Isaac. <laughs> right? It's, it, it's incredible. But it's there. It's right in front of us in the Word. But if we're not reading the Word, we're not going to catch it. And I thought, look what he did. 
That encouraged my faith so much. Don't you feel like you've got zero resources all the time sometimes? You have zero hope. It's not based on us. God says, I will provide for you. And that's what we need to think about. That's what the writer to the Hebrews wants us to come to grips with. You know, there's one line of that song I told you, Bill. I I really got to use my imagination. There's this one line further on in the song. Now reality don't do me no good. Now reality don't do me no good. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is God sent his son into the world to take on human flesh. In John's first, I mean, in John's first epistle, he says, that which we touched and we saw and we heard, he gives three witnesses to the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. He wants us to take that to heart just like you see me or you can touch the person next to you. He, he had that experience with Jesus. It was reality. And anything else is a lie from the pit. It's a lie from the father of lies. <coughs> reality does me much good. <laughs> and that's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. Wake up. Let me give you a strong dose of reality, and I can't give it all to you because you're not ready for it. You're not trained for it yet. Just like you don't just go, you don't say, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to, you know, some people get advanced in, in school. You know, they go from first grade to second grade. They only have to, they, have to, they can skip a grade, right? It's not like you say, I'm going to do first grade to 12th grade. They don't do that, usually. I don't know if they ever do it, but the point is you have to go step by step, right? You have to go step by step, and, and they... They weren't maturing enough to build B upon A and C upon B. But that's what God wants us to do, keep growing. This is true. It's particularly true in the sports world. I think about people who had a lot of potential. Okay, I was a coach. I was a PE teacher. I loved athletics. What's really sad is the thing. Somebody had potential and never got to what they could have been. But that's a passing thing of some sort. But but what really matters is you've been bought with a price and you're called to glorify God in your thought and word and deed. And that's the ultimate. Every morning you get up, it's like I I get to live for the Lord. And I want to be everything he wants. And you might be surprised what the Lord has given you. Maybe you've been so dull, you've had such a hard time. It's like, I can do more than this. Oh, I can do more than that. I had a friend who was a, he was the uh, sponsor of a ski club. And I was not a skier. I was a PE major, but one thing I didn't do was ski. I, was, I, I could do it. But, and he says, hey, look, if you're a chaperone, you can go with me free. We'll go skiing. I'm thinking, that sounds cool. Go to the ski slope. It's a simple ski. I'm not going to name it, but it was a simple ski place. It wasn't like, you know, all these diamonds all over the place, uh, if you know skiing. But I said, I'm going to the baby slope, and I'm going to just take my time. So... I head off to the baby slope. He goes, wait a minute, you can do this. You can do this. Come here, come here with me. And he takes me to the medium slope. He didn't put me over there. I thought he knew. He knew me well. He knew what I was capable of. Now, I'm not going to be, for those of you who were alive in 1968, Jean-Claude Keeley. I'm not going to be him or any other skier. But I can get down the slope somewhat. But in Christ, we're called to be what he's, he's made us to be. Of all the things in your life, that is the the goal that you're attained to. And that's from the Lord. That's a gift from the Lord.
So God expects a, a superior harvest, but it's a, it's a work of grace. It's a work of grace in our life. It's the active uh, nature of grace to make alive, to cause to grow. And so let's think about that over the next two weeks. Where are we in Christ? You know, it's amazing. God is so kind and so overbearing. We, we even confess that we, we haven't lived as we ought to. We haven't loved him as we ought to. We haven't served him as we ought to. And yet he's like, keep going. Keep going. That's the letter of the Hebrews. Don't stop. Don't waste your time. Confess your sins, yes. Acknowledge your sins, yes. But move on. The prize is still held out to you as long as I don't re- his son doesn't return. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, this book, uh, probably under the influence of the evil one, has been a book that we tend not to want to read because it sounds so ominous and dangerous. And it is, in a sense, because you are holy and nobody, nobody can stand under your holiness in and of themselves. And yet at the same time, it is, it, we, we, we will always be in wonder that you sent your son, your holy beloved son, to live a perfect life for us, that he gives the credit to us. But he doesn't just give us the credit, he gives us a new heart with it. And he desires us to be like him, and you desire us to be like him. So we ask that for his sake, that we would have a sober estimate of where we are in Christ today, and that we would have a sober estimate all the time until your son returns or until you take us home, and that by your grace we might be those who pay closer attention as the the writer will help us to do as we move on in the book, that we might pay attention to the great beauty and depth of the salvation that we have in Christ For your glory and for our eternal good, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.